Hi, and welcome to episode 464 of the MWA podcast. I'm Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean, Mark, and Brian. Today, we're excited to have Jamil Abraham as our guest. Jamil is a person of many talents, which include furniture design and production, woodworking, tool design and production, luthery, iconography, teaching, wrenching on Porsches, and oh yeah, he's also co-owner of Benchcrafted, which is renowned for their bench vices and other hardware, and is also the organizer of the upcoming hand tool woodworking gathering known simply as Handworks. So I'm sure I left out a few different things that you do, Jamil, but uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Look forward to it. Great having welcome. you. Yeah. Welcome. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the woodworking news first off. And uh, first, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about Formatic. They have introduced a new coating to some of their machines called Armor Glide. And I think it's an option. It's I think it's about a 10% increase in the uh, in the cost of the machine. But this is an industrial grade, low friction protective coating for their band saws, table saws, and joiners. And apparently um, it also has some slickness to it. So, you know, like it says, it's, like they said, it's low friction. So not only is it slick, but it also prevents rust and other things. And mm -hmm. uh, this was at the um, latest AFPS woodworking thing in Vegas, whatever it's called. AWFS. AWFS. I never can remember that acronym, but anyway, but yeah, I think that's where they uh, first kind of made notice of it um, out there, but it looks, it looks pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of a black coating. So when I first saw it, I went, are they bringing back the granite stuff? I know oh. who was it like steel city. And I think rigid experimented with doing some stuff with granite, but no, it's not that it's just a coating over the, uh, over the actual cast iron. So it looks, looks to be pretty good, but you know, it's not something you can retro retro, um, get on your machines is not a coating you can you know put on your existing machines or something like that you have to buy something new like oh I said. okay i was gonna say yeah. is this is this like a bow shield like okay, no treatment yeah, that, that you can yeah, do that, or that molecular uh yeah yeah agent, you know that tiny little bottle that that was supposed to do something similar but yeah if you can't apply it post probably yeah. not I think that tiny little bottle was basically like what they put on cars and stuff, like a ceramic coating. <laughs> they said, "Hey, let's put it on a you know woodworking tools and see what that see what see how that works." But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's it looks pretty interesting, especially you know for those of us that are in you know shops that you know battle humidity and stuff like that. So right, could be could be interesting. And um, next up, uh, the Wood Whisper has bought a sandpaper company, and uh, this is a company that was out there for a while i forgot the name of it i want to say it's like epic or something or epoch, epoch or something like yep. yep but they made a sandpaper that was dual-sided so it had sandpaper on both sides of the paper and um, apparently the guy that was doing it um, got busy with other stuff and couldn't really devote time to the company so uh mark bought it so uh he's in the sandpaper business so he's uh in production now that i think they had some i just listened to their last podcast and he said they had some inventory from when they bought the company but uh, that quickly sold out and uh right now they're in the process of ma manufacturing some more so hopefully as this post, he might already have that back in stock, but it was some interesting stuff. And I remember when he first mentioned it years ago, uh, they were selling it on Amazon, but it quickly sold out there and I never did see it come back on Amazon. So I never bought any, but it seems like a pretty cool idea. Hmm. 
And they're tiny sheets. I mean, well, not tiny, but you know, like four by six or something like that. Yeah, well, they quarter fit sheets. in the uh, in in yeah you know, they quarter sheets, so it would probably fit in a quarter sheet uh, vibrating I, sander, maybe. Yeah, but I think these are more, more made for, for like hand sanding and stuff like that. Yeah. With sandpaper on both sides, you're sanding your hands at the same time. <laughs> well, it won't I'm doing slip. Anyway, it won't slip. I always, I always, yeah. always it fold over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It won't, it yeah, won't yeah, slip yeah. until your until your fingerprints are gone, and then. <laughs> you know, for some people, that's a benefit. You know, depending on what type of line of work you're in. <laughs> right. So, but anyway, so uh, you can check that out, and like I said, all as always, we'll have links to all this in the uh, podcast description. <clears> so <throat> look for them there. Mm -hmm. Um. Next up, Festool has a couple of new tools they introduced as we're recording uh, today. Um, a bunch of new tools, but the two I wanted to highlight is, first of all, they have a new um, cordless table saw. I, you know, it's a job site saw, and I think we looked at this, the corded version, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, now they have a cordless version of that saw, which is uh, really interesting. Um, it's only, you know, the basic kit is only 1500 bucks. And if you go all the way up to everything, I think it's like $2,000, which yeah. is kind of interesting. I guess if you're in the Festool line, these prices compete very closely with SawStop's um, job site offering. I know Festool bought SawStop a couple of years ago. Um, if you just want the if you just want the basic saw, SawStop's probably the way to go because it's a little bit cheaper. But once hmm. you get into the full kit, it's kind of the same. You know, if you want the um, the whole uh, mobile bench and all that kind of stuff, it's it's basically pretty much the same. But yeah, you know, this, does this has have any of the the flesh sensing technology? No, no, no that's okay. the only difference. However, it does have electronic height and tilt adjustment, which the oh. doesn't have. Okay. So you know, there, and I don't know about fence wise. You'd have to. I'd want to play with both of because I think the SawStop comes with a basic fence on their on their job saw, and then they have a more you know typical fence, um, kind of Beesmeyer type style ish. Mm. But you know that's an upgrade and stuff like that. So you know you might be able to get a better fence. But like I said, I don't know how the Festool fence works either. So you know yeah. it'd be you know if you're in that market, I know us as you know fine woodworkers and stuff or not, but it's kind of interesting to look at. This. Um, yeah. It looks interesting. I'm, I'm curious. And uh, like actual use case, like, mm -hmm. like, like actual try to like use, use this on the job site and say like, I know a lot of good contractors like Festool they're very well-made and robust machines and just whether or not this would, yeah. how this fits in, you know, how does it yeah. deal on, on the actual job site, battery, battery life and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either, but, um, I'm sure it's good. And if you're in that <laughs> system, it's probably something that fits right in and, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, and you know, the black and green matches everything else you have. Of That's course. Right. Like the Kool-Aid got to stay with the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I was a little surprised. Uh, if, if I read this correctly, there are two 18 volt five amp batteries. Mm -hmm. I, I thought, you know, with a table saw, this would have been the chance to go to maybe, you know, eight, you know, something that's going to last all day. Especially if I think the maximum blade height was an inch and seven eighths. Mm -hmm. So if right. you're rip, if you're ripping, you know, well, on the job site, I mean, you might be ripping some some thicker stuff. You know, how, can you really get a whole, you know, eight to ten hours out of this thing? You know, yeah, you wonder is this is this more for trim carpenters as opposed to like rough carpenters? Nobody's ripping a two by six on this thing. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't have yeah. a depth. Yeah, cabinet you know? guys maybe. Yeah. Yeah, cabinet yeah. cabinet slash trim like. 
thinner materials. Um, I I always question the table saw because those are so compared to like a uh, a miter saw. Miter saws are all the time used, you know, in trim mm -hmm. carpentry, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You got to cut that. But I mean, if you have to like trim a cabinet door, I guess, you know, or a cabinet side or something like that, <laughs> this gives you the capacity to do that a little easier. But arguably, probably the next thing we're talking about, a track saw does that track in saw. an yeah. almost better way yep. because you just take the tool to the work and instead of the work to the tool. Yep. And they have a new track saw. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's nice segue. You like nice that? Segue. Yeah, yeah. Well played, Sean. So, um, yeah, so so they have a, uh, I guess it's a 60 millimeter to, uh, track saw. So they've had the 55, they've had the 75. So this is a little bit, you know, in the in between. Um, but they have two versions. One of it's basically like your regular track saw. But the one that interests me is they now have one that has a scoring blade ahead of uh, it. Oh, that's what the plus is. Yes. Or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's got okay. a little, it's got a, it's got a little bitty scoring blade, you know, like, um, you know, some of the, uh, European sliding sliders and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to have a scoring blade on a track saw. So yeah, this would definitely be for your high end trim carpenter that wants, mm -hmm. you know, those splinter free cuts. Perfect so. for, yeah. Cutting veneer on like veneer doors. And yeah. yeah. I, I noticed that, um, they've introduced the, the smaller plunge router again. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see if that still sucks or if it's <laughs> they fixed it. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the only regret I have when it comes to buying Festool stuff yeah. is that little that the OF ten ten. So I, I'm curious to see if anybody gets it to to know what they think of it. And they've got uh, Bluetooth noise canceling earbuds. Hmm. Did you see those? I did. No. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you know, take phone calls, listen to music. Uh, they, there's supposed to be a technology that's, that lets conversation through while keeping the noise cut. So that's another thing I'm interested to see. It does that work in, in action. Wow. Mm -hmm. We I did not see a refrigerated lunchbox though. Yeah. I know Isotunes has like, a um, some ear noise canceling earbuds, but you know, I haven't, I'm not sure how well those work or something. Like I, that. I use AirPods, um, mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, uh, listen to music or podcasts and uh, and work, and they do a really good job. There are times, occasionally, when you have like really high frequency stuff that breaks through. Yeah. Uh, so if you slap a board down on a surface, you can occasionally that'll come through. But uh, I've been really happy with those. Um, yeah, I use earbuds on on my zero turn riding mower. Do yeah. the job too. Like just I, listen, you know, listen to a podcast, listen to music. It's enough to and just by passively just having them on in noise cancelization. It it severely limits the noise yeah yeah i i i have problems uh doing riding mower with regular earmuffs because uh my glasses pull the the cups oh, yeah. away from my face mm. just enough to where I, I can still get uh i get headaches from from the sound and, and ringing ears so i actually started <laughs> wearing the airpods on noise canceling with the hearing protection over the top and that's like amazing. It's like, you know, nothing but whatever you're listening to, or it's almost complete silence. So mm -hmm. that's kind of nice. But yeah, I, I don't know if anybody gets those and they want to leave a comment in the, like on MWA uh, Instagram account, I would love to know about both of those products or anything else that's new. Cool. Yes. Yes. I'm interested in that too. So, hmm. Well, um, let's move on to our Patreon shout-out. So who do we have to thank this week? Yeah, we, you know, we always like to give a big thanks to our Patreon supporters. Today, we're giving that shout-out to Joe Bass. 
I don't think it's Joe Bass. It's probably Joe Bass. Uh, Joe, thank you for supporting us. And if you, dear listener, would like to support the MWA podcast, go to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. Yes. I think he said it's uh, bass like the fish. I'll, I'll make that joke every time just because. I know. I know. It's, it's a good <laughs> joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> well, let's move on to what's in the shop. So, Mark, what are you working on? Well, I'm getting ready for handworks of all things. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, uh, trying to get a couple of shave horses done, some some uh, shave horse kits, hardware kits, and um, going to be we're going to have the uh, schedule for classes for the next probably year and a half. Um, I had a student complain uh, about all of the schedules that get published. There, he says, you know. I need a year to plan. And I said, well, maybe I can do that. So we figured out a way that we can, we're not, I'm not doing a ton of in-person classes. So um, it's easy enough to set aside some blackout months where I, where the scheduled is usually problematic and just plan around the the months where it's never a problem. So I'll have that schedule for handworks as well. And uh, hopefully have some chairs for people to look at to see what it is they'll be building. Come and take a class. Oh, nice. Good examples are always a good sales sales piece. Yeah, it's just got to get them done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a little bit of progress made at the last during the last yeah. class. Um, we had yeah. some setups done. I was like, oh, let me just hurry up and you know push through this after the students were gone. And uh, yeah. so yeah, maybe I'll get it, get get them done. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things that hey, you can't sit in these chairs not because I'm picky or. <laughs> But uh, the finish didn't dry yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to use tongue oil at this time. I think I'll go back to Osmo or something. You know, it's, it'll be it'll be dry in 24 hours. You can sit on it. But yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a great show. Looking forward to it. And uh, there's a lot of prep work. If I had four years to get ready, I'm still not ready. So big surprise there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> are, you, are you still like, having the class after Handworks? No. So we decided um, to move that here. Uh, didn't have enough interest. I think I just announced it too late. Uh, and you know, people, I don't think, um, I, I think people, I had people who are interested in the class, but, uh, it's not a, an easy thing to just say, oh, let me take four extra days off, uh, after a holiday. So we decided to, I had, I had a student who, uh, was coming in from out of the country who was a, um, workbench consulting client. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were like, sure, I'll take it at your shop. So we just, we're just moving it back to my place. So if anybody uh, wants to take the class here, I could probably squeeze one person in uh, and be able to get everything ready for them. But it would start the day after Handworks. It's uh, it's closed off on the site, so you'll have to email me. But uh, we're going to have uh, one of my former students is going to come in with her. Uh, his wife is going to come and take some candid shots of the class so that we can have pictures of people doing stuff uh, that, that isn't my cell phone. but that's it for me how about you sean uh you know not much as far as woodworking although i am preparing to come to handworks as well um but uh importantly uh when you live on a on a well and your water supply is a pump uh when you lose power because of a massive storm that takes out half of the county um that's a big deal and thankfully we got through that but uh I know there's a lot of heat and storms and everything going through the area, but we're not equipped. Like my wife was like, you know, we should have a generator. I'm like, you know, we've lived here for 17 years and this has never, ever happened. And it's not a power line on our street. But last week, a nasty storm ripped through. This is a couple of weeks before we had an F2 tornado hit the 
eastern edge of town and this time didn't spin any tornadoes but it's some sheer winds my neighbor two doors down lost his flagpole so some straight line wind wow. ripped it down you know there was some pretty severe stuff um but we were out i mean it's, it sounds really minor when you look back at it because we were out for like four hours a little less than four hours of power but that's time that i can't flush my toilet wash my hands get sweaty and take a shower. I, it was like the most unnerving thing for my, my very first world problem kind of person that like, what the hell are we doing? Well, like, you didn't we know when it was the end, right? You didn't know. Yeah, we you, had no idea. You're always and, like hedging. And yeah. in the community, people were out for 14 days. So yeah. like wow. that and yeah. awful. Um, we were just like, are we sleeping here tonight? Because mm. I mean, that's fine. Like we could probably wake up, but we don't have any air movement as humid as hell, all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, where do we shower? Where do we do all these things? Like it's, it's one of those crazy, crazy things, but thankfully we got through that. Um, in amongst that, my youngest son who got serious about golf in like April of this year made the golf team. Wow. Um, <laughs> he's he's uh, a natural, huh? He's an athlete. Now the, the funny thing is, is that he struggles. And so it's actually kind of a good ego check for a yeah. kid that's really good at sports to beat almost 20 people in tryouts to make the JV squad as a senior. It's fine. It's whatever. He's just trying. Um, but he goes out in the first meet and shoots the the highest score of everyone <laughs> by, by six shots and uh, a full six, no, 18 shots over what he qualified with in tryouts. So he's not performing to what he thinks is potential and, Anyway, he's like missing. He's actually missing meets now because he's not performing well enough, even though he made the team. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a, an interesting struggle he's going through. So that's interesting. Yeah. I did beat him the time that I played with him right before tryouts. So I think, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> if you <laughs> like, want to build his ego back up, you can pit him against me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, it's not forever. Like we went, we, there was a, a meet on Monday of this week and I went, I took the, I took the day off to kind of follow around just to see what it was all like. Cause we've never been on a team like this before. And um, in amongst more than a dozen schools, uh, two players shot four under par, and these are all high schoolers um, from Northwest Ohio. These are not PGA, you know, <laughs> probably players. Um, but there were there were three or four, maybe five guys totally under. There were a grand majority of the scores were all under eighty. Um, it, it's mm. it's it's a hard sport to be good at. As yeah. we kind of, as if you ever tried, you know, golf's golf's a pain in the butt. But um, you know, he shot an 88 in qualifying, and he he hasn't cracked 90 since. So I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Well, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not into golf, but here around the the Houston area, you can't throw a rock without hitting a golf course. It's about you like know what you have in Texas is a yeah. lot of land. Yeah, There's a lot of land mm -hmm. to put golf courses on. I know mm. Brian. Brian lives on a golf course. But, yeah, one right, yeah. right, right there. Right there. Right yeah. there you go. There you go. So anyway, Frank can't go outside without getting hit with a golf ball. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I had one come off the mower once when I was. Oh uh, man! And uh, oh. I haven't bought golf balls in the eight years that we've lived here because there's <laughs> at least three to three to seven in the yard, and occasionally they come off the house. But that's it's part crazy. of the game. Yep. So look at that segue, Brian. How about you? Yeah. So uh, I've been traveling a lot for work, and we had a couple of big deadlines. And for the longest time, I was working fourteen to sixteen hours a day. But I finally finally have gotten a chance to get this sewing chairs stool whatever you want to call it thing there's finish on it i, I put some walrus oil on it uh, the furniture polish because it, it's got a really nice flame cherry carcass and legs um 
and it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, my wife and I, we are not upholsterers at all, but we gave it our best shot at fabric covering a foam seat that she'll sit on. Uh, so second coat went on just before this podcast. I'm uh, going to let that cure the side if it needs a third, probably not. Um, but I was very proud of myself because if you know me, I'm not known for making anything truly square. That That's too easy. So, But there's a, a tray in the top of this that she can pull out and there's additional storage underneath. But the tray has a nice piston fit. You just get it on and just let it go, and it goes drops oh, nice. down. So nice. I was like, "Oh, this this is great!" Uh, instead of you know either not fitting or just clunking straight down. So yeah. Um, well, this winter you can help her, you know, pry it out or something. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no, it might be the opposite. It might yeah. be good that you built it during the summer. Normally, be the summer when it's well yeah. up. When I was stuck. yeah kind of getting into woodworking um we had to move homes and we needed four months in between the two houses so we moved in with my parents and i made made my wife a walnut top desk with nice breadboard ends but i made it in my dad's garage which is not conditioned at all you know and it was humid as as all all could be and (laughs) and we put it in the house that we're in now and it's you know it's climate controlled and that sucker has shrunk and the breadboard ends stick out by probably three sixteenths of an inch front and back. <laughs> and I'm like, do I do I do anything with this? I'm like, that's nope. They're doing what they're supposed to do. It's just a lesson to not build furniture that's gonna move with the seasons in the most human time of the year possible and then put it in an air conditioned home. Um, so yeah, don't do that. Uh but yeah, after this uh sewing things out of the shop, I'll be very happy to see it go. Uh, my daughter is gonna be moving back to Florida. Um, and she's going to be living by herself for the first time. No, no roommates. So she wants some furniture pieces and she asked me for two side tables, you know, simple, very simple side tables. Uh, so, um, you know, she found them on Amazon for like $60 and I'm like, that's pressed fiberboard or glue and MDF. And so we're just going to, you know, make them a little more sturdy out of solid wood, turn some legs. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get moving. Um, the wood for my table, uh, the wood for my new desk top is, climatized it's ready to go so um yeah, it's some air-dried wal- walnut so i'm excited to see what colors pop out of that hmm. when i start planning it but yeah kyle how about you um i've just been working on some orders as always so um it's been good i bought on um i posted a few days ago i bought a uh, a dentist lamp on um on an auction site and uh so that was kind of interesting um i got the idea from uh, jason thickpen of Texas Heritage Woodworks. He got a dentist lamp for a bench lamp. And I went, okay, so I've been kind of looking for, you know, something like that on the auction site. So it popped up and the minimum bid was 25 bucks. So I put in 25 bucks and I won. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats. Congrats. What's great about those is, you know, they're super bright, but they will stay where you put them. Mm-hmm. So if you need to like pitch it over your shoulder to look like a like a down a dovetail or something, you know it'll it'll do that without drifting. Yeah. It's hard to find that outside of uh, you know, it's in t- an intended purpose like that. Right. Yeah. It was, with it's, it too. Yeah, it's coming out of the dental school at the <laughs> University of uh, Texas at uh, Health Hunt Center, and uh, they also in the same auction they also had some uh, OR lights. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was thinking about you, Brian. It's like yeah. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, I wonder how that that would work. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell how many times I bang my head into those things, but they. Uh, yeah, the same concept. It's just. Yeah. Uh, it's a dentist lamp with more bulbs. Yeah, same yeah. idea. 
Yeah. So anyway, so we'll we'll see. It's it it looks to be in decent shape. Uh, everything seems to work except for I think there's like um I don't know. I got to get it all together and see, but it, but it looks like there might be some some sort of mechanism that actually uh adjusts the height up and down that may be locked because mm. I couldn't get it to move and it has a big spring in there so it's one of those things i don't like to play with springs too much because i don't <laughs> want to be sprung but um anyway I, I need to look at that and see what's going on but you know hopefully i'll get to it within the next three years um <laughs> <laughs> well it could help you in your tool making business not yeah. just woodworking thing so there's a greater likelihood yes. that you'll actually get it up and running yeah does it yeah. Does the light come on I mean, that's the, uh, I don't know. I'm going to investigate that. It didn't come with a lamp. It didn't come with a, a, no bulb. a bulb in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But everything came apart to put the bulb in. So I don't see any uh, issues there. Um, but you know, I need to get it, get a, uh, see if I can find an owner's manual for it or something like that. And maybe, uh, some schematics would be great. Cause you know, I was looking at the electrical connection cause they just clipped the cord, you know, they just cut the cord on it. I'm like, Hmm, there are four wires in here. Wonder what the other two do, you know that kind of mm -hmm. thing. I, I assume one's a ground, uh, so it might be just the other one because it's three phase. Yeah, and it might be. <laughs> three phase yeah, I don't light. know. Three phase light. Oh my <laughs> Could God. be. Who knows? Who knows? Two twenty. That yeah. would also be weird, but uh, it, it, everything yeah. else dims the house when you turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It could be one of those Griswold moments from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so we had that. The other thing that I thought was interesting is I have, um, back when I was first getting into woodworking, um, I've always had a fetish for marking tools and gauges and stuff like that. I got one of these Lee Valley double squares. Um, since then, I, I liked it so much that now I have like two Starrett double squares. I have this little four-inch Lee Valley double square. And um, for some reason, the thing just broke on me. The oh. little uh, hook. You know, the, you know, the rule has that groove in it that the hook engages mm -hmm. in at the top mm -hmm. of that thumb screw. Uh, that little post that uh, has the hook on it just broke. Boom. Just sheared off. Nice. So I don't know. The thing was like 10 years old, but, you know, so I'm not that worried about it. I got a nice four inch rule now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, their, their customer service is excellent. Yeah, it's not worth it. I don't think so. Um, the only thing that's that's weird is I have one of those uh, Sterling Toolworks dovetail um, things that fits into a double square. It's a little, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking a little about? Bar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, on when, I, on yeah, when I bought it, it would only work with the Lee Valley. It didn't work with the Starrett. I think he oh. sells a different version now. They'll work with the Starrett too. But uh, yeah, that's that's the only thing. So you know. Not that I cut a lot of dovetails uh, lately, but, you know, it's one of those things. So, you know, I might have to look into it, but I just thought that was interesting. If, if you don't want to buy a whole new one for around 50 bucks, it's worth reaching out to them to see what they can do for you. Yeah, I don't even think they're 50 bucks. I'm not sure. The, Lee Valley's the, pre the precision double square, 6 yeah. inches, 51.50. The 4 no, inches, 46.90. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Inflation, so, man. But, but it's the same body. So yeah. take, the, take the 46 and just put your rule in it. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe I maybe I will mention something to them. I need to call them anyway. I need to I need to order a couple of tools from them, and this is for hmm. work related. So I need to set up a a, a tax exempt uh, uh, profile or uh, account with them because uh, you know ever since they opened up a store in the U.S., now they're charging taxes on stuff. Mm. It's like, darn it! Should have stayed in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then the last thing I got working on is a kitchen demo. I think I mentioned that before where I got to take a cabinet down. And uh, I found out that the uh, contractor, when they were installing the cabinet, actually secured the overhead cabinets with nails, (laughs) (laughs) which are buried into the wood. So I was looking, all right, how am I going to do this? You know, and I kept looking at it and playing around with it. And I go, there's no thing. I just need more tools. So I had to buy one of those oscillating multi-tool things. So, oh, yeah. Those uh, are great. Did you get fine or did you get a... I, I just got a Milwaukee because that's, yeah. oh, that's that, I'm in the Milwaukee, you know, camp. So, yeah, I was able to order like the tool only for like a little over a hundred bucks or something like that. So that wasn't bad. So, yeah. So that's about all I've been working on. So, Jamil, what's going on in your shop? Oh, uh, not much at the moment. Uh, I am uh, <laughs> the calm before the storm. <laughs> I am ready for handworks. Yeah. Uh, so I have built uh, a display stand um, for something rather interesting that I can't really talk about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, that I hope will make its way to me. It's currently in another country. Oh. Uh, but I own it, and it's <laughs> it was it was purchased by Benchcrafted in order to display at handworks so that's what i'm working on at the moment it's actually done so I'm... is it in customs or is it not yet let's hope it doesn't get oh god okay oh, <laughs> hope those other countries aren't in europe because that uh no <laughs> no moving. it's uh, it's our yeah. neighbor to the north yeah ah. okay 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 oh Okay, and it's not and it's not packed in coffee grounds or anything like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know yet. Uh, stop at our booth at, at Handworks and find out. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. If yeah. if need be, there's probably some some nice Canuck that would drive it over the border for you. Uh, you know, to ferry I, it along the way. I, I have found that person, and that, there you go. <laughs> that person is uh has promised to bring it over the borders. There you go. Got a guy. Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah. a guy. <laughs> what else is on in the shop? Um, I need to build this uh, sort of credenza thing for a microwave oven. I had a over-the-stove microwave with a built-in range hood, but mm-hmm. they never finished plumbing it in, so the air just went up through and then out the top back. In oh, the- oh, God. So it was just, just pointless. So I, I got rid of that, put in a real range hood. Now I need a put the microwave somewhere and I'm not yeah. going to put it on my counter because then it just eats up the counter space. So yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I'm doing. I had one of those microwaves over the hood. That's all my kitchen demo work. And that microwave yeah. went on the fritz and I went, you know, I nearly never liked this anyway. I want to put a re- regular hood in and take right, this cabinet right. from above the, the, right. Cause my stove is separated from the other cabinets. It's not like it's in the middle of the kitchen. It's in a separate area. So it's just that okay. one cabinet above the stove with the microwave. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of my stuff these days is just practical things that I can never bring myself to purchase at a store. So <laughs> I deprive myself of so many nice things uh, <laughs> because of that. So, because you should build it yourself. Exactly. No, nobody here knows what that's like. No, not at all. <laughs> no, no, never been there. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in fact my wife with mine is going, uh, you know, we need to tile all this. And I went, yeah, I go. I've never done tile. It's about time for me to learn how to do tile. <laughs> I don't advise that. I saw a project <laughs> book at Lowe's the other day. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll get some quotes just to just to see. Yeah, do that. <laughs> tile is not wood. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Well, ma- hey, maybe hardwood no, no. floors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. you can buy tile now. 
that looks very much like wood. Uh -huh. Yes, yes, you can. I have that in my house, all over my yeah. house. It's, it's actually great. quite nice to look at, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had several people come in and go, "That's not wood. No, fill it. It's tile." Yeah, yeah. I've put a lot of the uh, cork flooring in uh, over the years. Mm -hmm. The click mm -hmm. uh, floating floor, and it's yeah. I love it. It's just soft to walk on. It's warm. It's extremely durable. I have a good friend that has it in his shop, and oh, wow. it just holds up. I've, I've thought about that too. Yeah. Cork. I mean, I I can't think of a better floor for a shop than cork right now. Yeah, I have a, a coworker that that is big into woodworking, and um, he did his kitchen in cork floor, and wow. I was like, that's amazing. I mean, because the same same. It was like it's super comfortable to just to walk on. It's quiet. Yeah. It's all the things like yeah. You know, it's renewable. Yeah. And renewable. Yeah. Well, I actually, I actually I mean, looked into wood, cork. Really. I mean, it's bark, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually looked into cork flooring when we built our house. Now, this is back in 2001, but at that time, it was still a little pricey, but I think prices have really come down because it got a lot more popular, but at the time, it was kind of, eh, no, we'll just, we'll, at that time, we just went with the regular carpet, and I eventually replaced the carpet with this tile. Anyway, but on to our woodworking podcast. So, um, serve <laughs> <laughs> our home improvement podcast. But uh, so, Jamil, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself for people that might not be familiar, where you grew up and how you got into woodworking. Uh, okay, so I was born and raised in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, woodworking. How did I get into woodworking? I think, like a lot of us, we had a father or a grandfather that was into woodworking to some extent. And mm -hmm. that sort of was where the spark started. Both of my grandfathers were pretty deep into it. And they were both like, you know, World War II era guys and very much into, you know, radial arm saws, uh, table saws, plywood, not really what we would consider like, you know, fine woodworking, but, um, course being from that era and that generation they were very frugally minded mm -hmm. so one of my grandfathers worked almost entirely in bc plywood mm -hmm. and almost everything he made had you know little football inlays where there would be a knot in the face veneer. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> and his idea of finishing was to slap a coat of golden oak stain on it and walk away yep looks good yeah it looks good <laughs> it's got that kind of toothy texture that nobody wants to touch yeah well <laughs> the the plywood came pre-sanded you know yeah yeah, yeah. ready, ready yeah. Go. and nothing happened when when you got it wet it was just <laughs> <laughs> my other grandfather did uh he used hardwoods mostly red oak you know flat sawn red oak with all those mm -hmm. beautiful cathedrals that we all love and uh <laughs> he would make cutting boards in the shape of a pig being from Iowa, of course, um, <laughs> clocks in the shape of Iowa. And he, his favorite finish was called build 50. Hmm. And it was like a two part epoxy and you would literally pour it on the project. Interesting. Uh, oh, so he's rendered the, the, the river tables. Board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was like three river table. So <laughs> the clocks got this treatment. He would, he would put the wood on like a, like a grate, like you'd cook on in the basement with newspaper under, pour this stuff over it and let it drip. And he'd say, you know, to my brother, and he says, now you boys, make sure you don't touch that clock I'm working on down there because it would be sticky for like a week. Yep. 
you know, sometimes there'd be flies in it or something else. <laughs> that was probably the 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 seed of my woodworking interest. Um, and then later on, as I you know got a little bit older, and more serious, I discovered Fine Woodworking Magazine and the old Techniques volumes, which were the hardbound. Yeah, yeah. Versions of the book. So I'd go to the public library. This would be like in probably 1995-ish, somewhere in there. And I would check those books out and read them cover to cover multiple times. Um, I had, my dad had a had a buddy that was a furniture maker that I learned from and worked for for a short amount of time. And uh, he was a big fan of James Krenoff. Oh, and cool. He gave me, uh, you know, Krenoff's books, the Cabinet Maker's Notebook, and uh that was like, whoa! What is this stuff? You know, what are these, what are these dovetails that I can see that don't look like they're made by a machine? There's tension built into them. I just the, the woods fascinated me, and that was probably what really sparked my interest in, in fine woodworking back when I was probably I don't know 21, 20 years old, somewhere in there. Um, and then it just took off from there. I started getting interested in uh, in carving, so I could supply my church with furniture that was very expensive to buy from overseas and, and import. So I thought I could build that. And I, I failed a couple of times, bought a, some carving tools, didn't have any idea how to use them, <laughs> sent them back for a refund and then dug my heels in and tried again and eventually had some success with that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the start of it. That's how it started. Well, cool. Cool. Well, yeah. And I know there's a, there's a lot more. In fact, um, if you're interested in uh, Jamil and his in his brother, Father John, recommend you all head over to Lost Art Press, and they have a profile called the um, what is it called? It's called the uh, American Dream, the Brothers Abraham, oh, yeah. and uh, that is a fantastic profile. Um, and you know, I, I read it when it came out, and I read it again to uh, to uh, prepare for you know having you on as a guest, and it's just a fascinating story, and it goes into a lot of your background and you and your brother's background and growing up, and it's absolutely yeah, that fantastic. Was, that was a lot of fun to yeah. do that with with Nancy. Yeah, it's one. Of, I was about to say, yeah, it's one that Nancy Hiller did. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we sure miss her. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, with that, so how did uh your company Benchcraft to get started? Um, well, so when I started woodworking, I was I was pretty into it, and I had built myself uh, a couple of workbenches. I was early on. I really liked Shop Notes magazine. Mm -hmm. They had you know, there's no ads. Everything was really clear. It looked like some really great stuff. I built a bunch of those projects early on. And I, I sort of, um, I was involved in, there was an early news group called Rec.Woodworking. And this was like before there were any, you know, forums where you could post images. It was just, you know, you know, ASCII 2 or whatever you call it. Just oh, to, oh, like yeah. a Usenet forum. Oh, use, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was on that for a while. I, you know, learned some things, learned about Scary Sharp system, and I went and bought some you know, 2000 grit sandpaper and went through all that. And I just kind of disconnected from the internet for a while regarding woodworking. I was just super involved in making stuff and spending time in the shop. And I, this went on for a number of years and I thought I need a new workbench. I want to build a really nice bench. And I thought I'll go back on the internet and see what's going on. And I stumbled on, uh, the uh what was it called back then um 
woodworking magazine. So this was the the ad-free black and white mm -hmm. magazine that Chris Schwarz and Megan uh, Fitzpatrick and Bob Lang and uh, I forgot the other gentleman's name that started it. But that I was think, kind was of it Glenn, Glenn Huey? Glenn Huey, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Glenn. Yeah. So it was an offshoot of, of popular woodwork. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I discovered Chris's blog and he had built this, you know, Rubo bench and it, just the whole aesthetic of what he was doing and his, his, you know, deep dive into every aspect of what he was doing really, really appealed to me. I thought, wow, this is really cool that somebody's actually going back and looking at, you know, the historical techniques and trying to duplicate them and resurrect them and, and, and do all that. And I started following his work. And of course, I, I'd known about the, you know, the Rubo bench um, from uh, the workbench book, Scott Landis's workbench book. Mm -hmm. And um, I forgot his name right now, who built the, um, the Rubo in the, in the beginning, it was like the first article in that, in that book. But um, uh, he had built this Rubo bench out of a massive slab of wood. And then I saw Chris had built one out of, you know, yellow pine laminate laminates. And I started looking at, I thought oh, this is interesting. And I, I built, I built one of those benches and I like, I like tail vices. I like having a row of dogs on my bench. Mm -hmm. Extremely useful for to me, for how I work. And I didn't, and Chris, of course, Chris did not have a tail vice on his Rubo bench. So I started looking at the old patent record, looking at old pictures of French shops, you know, that I could get on Wikipedia or, you know, number any number of historical websites that would show all of these great French schools and shops that were throughout, you know, even Algeria, all the French colonies, of course, France itself, all these trade schools and all these benches that were there. And I, and basically I just started developing uh, these vices and I had no, uh, no idea that we would ever create a, a product from them or even a business. So kind of a cool story. Um, and this kind of ties into when I was a painter and painting icons for churches, I, my father's a priest, so is my brother. And early on in my painting career, I decided I wanted to paint our church as a donation. So I wouldn't make any income from it. Well, what happened was I started painting for other churches. And if I was doing that, I wasn't painting for our church. Mm -hmm. So I thought I need to come up with something where I can earn an income. So in my spare time, I can be painting in our church. And I came up with uh, our product called the mag block and mm -hmm. the, you know, stick a wood with, with magnets yeah. and use it to store your knives on or whatever you want tools. And Father John and I were sitting down and we thought we needed we need a name for this company we're forming. Um, and we were we're kind of like pocket knife geeks and we liked the name Benchmade. And uh -huh. I have a Benchmade knife in my pocket right now. Always been a fan of Benchmade. I said, well, mm -hmm. we can't use that. Let's come up with something else. So we came up with with Benchcrafted and we kind of, you know, looked it up on the Internet to make sure nobody was doing it. And I don't I, we didn't find anything. So Benchcrafted it was. And this was, I think, three years before I even went down the road of, of looking at 
vices or workbenches or anything. So eventually we became known for making workbench vices benches. and benches and our name just happened to be Benchcrafted. Mm -hmm. ah. That so worked out. That was Man. kind of a fun coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. This was meant to be almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is that is super cool. That is sure. that is really cool. So um so you you started off with the bench hardware and stuff like that. Now y'all have branched out from there, of course. Y'all are selling some other tools that y'all make or some other tools that other people make and y'all distribute right, through right. them. So yeah. Um yeah. So I recommend anyone go out go out to Benchcrafted site site and see what all they have to offer because they have more than just just uh bench hardware. But you know, that that's your bread and brother butter i imagine is the uh, bench hardware and devices and stuff like that yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. my, my moxon vice is probably the favorite thing i got for sure <laughs> yeah i i love mine too <laughs> <laughs> the good good eight quarter ash and and your hardware makes a damn good damn yeah good yeah device. it's it's it, it makes dovetailing so so fun mm -hmm. yep yeah mostly, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that's on my list. As soon as I, I got uh, I got some high vice hardware, I traded you for, and um, I I still have it sitting there. And I also got the high vice uh, blanks from Sean Murphy. And someday I will actually make those two together and have a high vice. Hopefully that <laughs> happens after I get this rocker finished. Those anyway. are super handy too. I, oh yeah, I have one parked at the back corner of my bench, and it it never leaves the bench. Yeah, I think that's probably where where mine's going to be. I have, I have one of these, um, machinist vices and stuff like that, that I've built up that sits yeah. on, on, on my bench and I, it, it works all right, but it's no high vice. So I'm sure that yeah. yours is going to replace that for sure. Cool. But, um, anyway, so with bench crafted and, and, uh, you start with that, but you've continually improved and had new iterations of your vices and stuff like that. You have the crisscross right. mechanism now and all of that kind of stuff. So yep. that's, so that's that's really interesting. Do y'all spend a lot of time studying that? And hey, maybe we can tweak things here or tweak stuff here. Yeah, I'm always trying to find ways to make the vices easier to install, more foolproof, mm -hmm. uh, work better, smoother, quicker, easier. Um, our our philosophy is sort of that we hope you forget that we even exist. Uh, <laughs> there was a I I kind of had some fun a few years ago. I I'm a big fan of old Volkswagens and the Volkswagen ad campaign of the, you know, sixties and seventies. Oh yeah. Yeah. So those they kind of made fun of their own product. And <laughs> yeah. We kind of did a couple of bench crafted ones of those. And I said, buy bench crafted and never talk to us again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's true. I mean, that, that's, that's our goal. I don't, when I'm in the shop, I don't want to be messing around with tools. Mm. I want, every tool that I use to sing and just be part of my process. Um, so I can put all of my mental energy into creating instead of, you know, fussing with things. Mm -hmm. Vices are kind of, and benches are kind of a notorious thing to, to be frustrating. So I want our stuff to be non-frustrating. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, so, um, with that, y'all have, uh, been the sponsor of handworks or the, promoter of handworks or the actual organization effort nice behind blood. handworks uh for a number of years now that now this yeah. is the third handwork third or fourth, fourth actually fourth fourth, fourth yeah. handworks so, so what in, 
what inspired y'all to start handworks in the first place well i should i should clarify some of the terminology we're not we're really not we're, we are the organizers i think you could say that but yeah. sponsors no we're, we just view ourselves as another participant and it's basically like when we started this thing, we sat down with a bunch of our woodworking buddies and said, let's do uh, let's do a woodworking event that's as much as like Woodstock, but without the drugs. In it. <laughs> Hang on, I got I to gotta scratch it off my list. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dang it. Okay. Bring okay. clothes. Bring clothing. Uh, got, it. got it. Got uh, it. Drugs. <laughs> so that's, that's really how it started. I mean, we had done a bunch of woodworking shows over the years when we started out, and that was really good to get our name out and get, you know, people, you know, knowing about us. But we quickly learned that we didn't we didn't really like hanging out in concrete bunkers under, you know, sodium vapor fluorescent lights all day long. Mm -hmm. Felt like garbage at the end of the day. You know, we sold a few things, but it just didn't have that that sort of grassroots kind of craftsman-y feel that we were after. And being in Cedar Rapids, we were, you know, we grew up close to Amana, which is where Handworks has always been. And Amana is just a very cool uh, German uh, series of villages where everything was done by hand, um, you know, from the, from the time they came to Iowa in the early 1800s up until like 19, you know, the 1940s. So we thought, why don't we have, you know, why don't we just call up all our hand tool manufacturing friends and say, hey, you guys want to meet here this weekend? We'll put it on the internet and say, everybody's invited for free and we'll just talk hand tools and, and have a good time. And if we sell a few things, that's just bonus or icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't a complicated, you know, formula. And, you know, Father John and I and our family, we, we don't like commercialism, you know, we're just all about the craft. I mean, yeah, we make our living doing it, but for us, the driving factor is, is, is the craft and, and doing handworks here was like a no brainer because there's a furniture shop that's been there for, you know, a hundred years. There's a woolen mill, there's all kinds of crafts. There's a blacksmith shop. It just felt like a great fit. Mm -hmm. Um, and pretty much everybody that we asked said, yeah, we're going, sure. And we were like, oh, wow, you trusted us. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, hope, I hope somebody shows up for it. <laughs> What's the Blues Brothers? You screwed up. You trusted me. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the band back together. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, that, that's uh, Animal House, not Blues Brothers. So, sorry. Oh. I got got my uh, got my uh, references. Your Belushi back. mixed up. Yeah, my Belushi's mixed up. But anyway, well, well, let, that is absolutely fantastic. So, uh, and I think uh, from what I understand is this year y'all had the most response. Yeah. So what we yeah. do is we put we ask all the vendors if they want to put up a door prize, mm -hmm. um, and the sole purpose of that is so we can uh, encourage people to register for the event because it's free. You know, mm -hmm. there's no tickets or anything. It's basically we open the doors at 10 a.m. Come and enjoy yourselves. So mm -hmm. if we do the door prizes. We got to get a feel for how many people are coming, um, and that lets us know how many outhouses and you know port <laughs> uh, <laughs> there. Uh, Turns out it's a lot, right? It's it's more than any other handworks we've done so far. 
I was gonna say, like, so how has it grown exponentially or just linearly? Like, I, yes. I know that this one is coming after a bit of a gap due to a pandemic. Right. right? It's been. It's been. But the the previous three were two years apart each, mm -hmm. and we were gonna do the last one three years because they were um, they're building a well they had built kind of a boutique hotel in Amana where they had remodeled uh, most of the remnants of the woolen mill, which actually still is producing, uh, you know, weavings and things. Oh, wow. But we waited, we postponed it a year so the hotel would be done just to kind of give them a little bit of boost and exposure. Um, but that was, that was 20, 2020. So uh, it didn't happen for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, so yeah, six years. It's now it's six years since since the last one. Mm. We were going to do it in twenty twenty one, I think, and then it was like you know the, yeah. the borders were still iffy. Our 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 friends from England and Australia, they may not have been able to come. So uh, we've just kind of been putting it off until until everybody you know felt comfortable with ten. Mm -hmm. Well, I um. I don't want to end this on a downer, but uh, Chris Horse has put out there that this might be the last one. Well, we say that every time. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. We'll put, there's no weight on that. Telling me there's a or, chance, or that thought. You're saying there's a chance. Exactly. Yeah. A million. Well, I, think, <laughs> I, I, I we were joking about this on a previous episode, but I, you know, after thinking about just like how much work goes into this event and the fact that it is not commercialized in any way, there's no there is no, I mean, yes, you might sell some stuff while you're there, but you don't earn anything from the event itself. Um, you know, it's easy to see where somebody might just say, I'm just tired. Like I need, I, I'm not ready to do this again. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's always worth it. We, yeah. we love doing it. Um, but it's just like anything worth doing, you know, there's, there's times when, you know, it's not all, you know, peaches and cream all the time. So sure. Sure. Um, right. But it's going to be so amazing to see everybody. I mean, we haven't seen some of our friends even that we're close to for, for six years. Mm -hmm. come to this event. So it's, it's, we're super excited. It's, awesome. it's, uh, and of course, uh, Roy Underhill is <laughs> always fun to watch. He's just, he puts his oh. cuts into everything. It was, I don't know if you, you guys were here for the last one, but I know no. you. Um, I've never been been there, but Roy Roy was a presenter at the WIA in um, was it Greensboro, North Carolina, or um, Winston Salem? Or, yeah, and I know that was, was. I got to talk to him there and and got to see his presentations. Fan, I, a wonderful human being, you know. Don't miss yeah. Roy. Yeah, he he makes he makes Saturday morning so much fun. And it's, <laughs> yes. it's really cool because I bring my my personal workbench from my shop out and he uses that as his stage. And yes. last time he incorporated, he had my nieces and nephews hold signs up and there was, there was like a song he wrote and uh, you can, you can actually watch it on YouTube. We have a, there's a handworks video from 20, 2017 up here. It's pretty much. So we're super excited to have Roy come out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I saw Roy at one of the WIAs crawl up on top of a stage on top of a folding table on top of something else. And the whole crowd was like, he's going to fall in he? <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many registrants are you guys up to? 
Oh, uh, I'm not entirely sure what it is at the moment. Um, it's it's somewhere north of two thousand, I believe. Oh my God! Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just you know that's just who registers. So I think last yeah. time it was way more than that because you get people that come in at the last minute or don't register or you mm -hmm. know friends and family, kids, sure. spouses, whatever. It's one of these things like, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with Amana, Iowa all that much, but is there a, a heavy population of locals that come or are you crawling from like us from Western Pennsylvania or oh, Eastern Pennsylvania, Northwest it's Ohio, Texas? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's so the world too. We had people yeah. from Europe and, and Japan and, oh, that's and, and Germany, phenomenal. Australia. Yeah. Well, some of the people that come to the show, you can't ever see them anywhere. I mean, you have to go to their shop in Canada or, you know. Right, right. Those that's, that's, are. <laughs> that's part of, I, mean, I, I mean, like I've always, since since the inception, I've known about every one of them. I just never had the chance to go. And so this time I'm just kind of making my chance to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's 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 just so like my wife's asked, like, what is this? What is this thing for? I'm like, well, it, it's a conference, but it's kind of just a gathering. Like it, it's just it's going to be like minded. Everybody talking. Yeah about their stuff right. showing off their stuff talking about their stuff like that that is so foreign to people who aren't involved in it but exciting for those that are into it right right, right. yeah it's just a bunch of us you know galoots getting together and having a good time for yeah. <laughs> nerds talking out. like nerds yep. with nerds yes. like, <laughs> and, and and the list of uh boutique um tool makers and whatnot is just Oh, it's way bigger this time. So in 2015, oh, yeah. we had uh, 57 vendors, and this year we have 80. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. 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 Kyle, Kyle, I'm putting your wallet on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> um, and mine's going to be left in the car. <laughs> no, don't leave it in the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. You know, you know, I, I got a little business here on the side that has some money that needs to be oh, spent. Oh, there, <laughs> yes. there you go. I have plans for you. Know, if I sell one set of bent chair parts, I can buy yeah. this mm -hmm. draw knife and that. <laughs> it's, it's fuzzy logic, Mark. That's yeah, what that's you know, it's this is why this is why we we, you know, never make any money on our woodworking businesses because uh -huh. yeah. There's yep. always a great tool that can be bought with some of the proceeds and it's all business exactly. expenses. Exactly. And, and there, and there's some vendor called plate 11 that I really need to check out one. There. <laughs> mm, mm. I heard they're good people. All right. That's what I heard anyway. <laughs> they're all right. The yeah, boss of a jerk. Well, fantastic. <laughs> they're great. Shady benches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're super excited to bring the podcast out there and, you know, do little mini interviews with a bunch of vendors. And oh, for sure. Yeah. The crowd, yeah. I'm really happy you guys are coming out to do that. Yep. Oh, looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. we're looking forward to it. And yeah, yeah, we got an Airbnb, I don't know, 20 minutes away from the... That sounds from, right. From the ground, something like Every, that. Everything's so. 20 minutes away from a man. So. Okay. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're staying across the street. From the sounds yeah. of it, you're, you, your event's probably selling out every rentable room within oh, county yeah. lines, if not beyond. I would imagine... Yeah. yeah, there was there was a, a room. One of the vendors uh, posted to the email group that you all that the Benchcraft has been sending out that says, oh, we, we booked two rooms. We only need one. And Ooh. it was gone in like 15 minutes. Like yep. it was like that. Yep. People are going <laughs> to so, be just grabbing on it all they can. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we should sublet out our Airbnb. <laughs> Is there a spare couch? As long as we I can, can, we sleep can rent space. 
yeah, yard space, bring a tent. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, I want to switch gears for a little bit because I want to want you to tell me a little bit about some of the iconography that you do and i think uh, you've been doing it for a number of years and it's absolutely beautiful work my my Thank wife you. is uh eastern orthodox so i'm kind of really? eastern orthodox adjacent so oh, okay cool <laughs> i i, I want to I, I it might be texas kyle i think it's iconography iconography <laughs> probably yes. probably okay okay it's <laughs> texas it's texas yeah i'll give you you have a good accent hey, don't let anybody tell you otherwise Okay. All right. Now, now I got to go back and edit. And uh, or no, we just no, no, no. We need to let Camille tell us who's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Camille, you correct us. Which one is it? Uh, yes. Correct. Yes. Both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't don't mess with Texas. There it is. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, my my father's side of the family is uh, uh, Lebanese. So a lot of the Lebanese are are Christians and in particular Orthodox Christians. Mm -hmm. um, so we grew up Orthodox and we still are, of course. Um, and I, I sort of, my dad became a priest when I was, I think 12, I would have been 12. And I, it was just all of a sudden I took an interest in this, in this art form. And when I was, I think 16, we visited a, a monastery that specialized in, in painting murals and i just i went to that place and i thought wow i just the just the look of the the art itself kind of struck me aside from any spiritual aspect i was just really taken with with the graphic uh mm -hmm. you know the the style the style of painting um and i act i went to um i went to college um for a very short time and realized there was really nothing there that interested me I had studied Russian in high school for four years, and this was back in the uh, you know late '80s. Wow! And it was kind of unusual to have Russian language taught in a high school at that time because this was yeah. kind of when Gorbachev was you know having this Glasnost and Perestroika and all of this openness, this kind of you know abandoning communism kind of process. So it was really cool to be able to learn Russian. Well, I did I did pretty well in it. But when I got to college, I I kind of lost interest in it, and mm -hmm. that's when the spark for iconography kind of took root. And I built myself an easel and got some paints, and I basically just I split my time in college between painting in my apartment and playing Mortal Kombat in the <laughs> Union. <laughs> and there's a little yeah. cool in there too, but uh, so that was. I really I skipped almost all my classes and I basically just I just dropped out right away. I only went mm -hmm. to college for for one semester. Um then I studied painting for a while and then just kind of just dove right into it and and painted for hours on end, paint till like, you know, eleven o'clock midnight every night and um kind of developed my skill there and then I started painting for for income. And I eventually started painting murals for churches and then uh uh, panel icons were just portable, uh, mm -hmm. painted on panels with like gold leaf, but I would paint on canvas instead of doing like a true fresco, like on the wall, I would paint in my studio on canvas. And then I would go to the church and install those on the wall and kind of fill in the edges and plaster it in. And that way I could do most of my work in my studio 
instead of spending you know months on location you know working on scaffolding and stuff like that yeah yeah i was wondering about that so yeah because i know the traditional icons are painted usually on wooden panels and stuff like that right but the ones in the churches so originally were they were like fresco type stuff they were frescoes so they yeah. were either painted on on you know semi-wet plaster like a true mm -hmm. fresco or they mm -hmm. were just painted right on the wall mm -hmm. um or in some cases they were mosaics so you know little glass tiles that were that were assembled to look like a painting um but those are much more rare than you know frescoes right um but in the modern era, especially since churches this in this day and age really aren't built like they were in the old days. You know, if you go to the Middle East or, or Greece or Russia, most of these churches were built to last, you know, for thousands of years. And in some mm. cases, they, they're, they're, they are still standing there. They're made yeah. out of stone and, uh, you know, they do slate lime on the wall and straw and, and everything is designed to last forever. But nowadays we're we're usually uh, decorating on drywall over you know stick frame two by four construction, and mm -hmm. we all know how temporary that sort of construction mm -hmm. is. Um, yeah. So painting on canvas means in the event the church gets you know wears out or gets demolished, you could actually remove the artwork from the walls. No, oh, that was going to be my next question. So, yeah. so, so you're tacking it in plaster on the edges so that they could still cut it out and remove it's, it. It's glued. The entire canvas is glued. Okay. Um, but it's it's just vinyl wallpaper adhesive. So, it's, oh, okay. It's fairly permanent. I mean, I have icons that are still on after 25 years now. They're they're mm -hmm. still fine. So, um, but that's usually what we do in the modern era, unless we know it's a sort of a monumental structure that we know will have a good longevity and then in that case a true fresco can be done interesting interesting well yeah yeah so listeners uh check out uh uh jamil's um instagram feed and see some of the work there it's absolutely beautiful for sure some of the iconography <laughs> i cannot say that word it's it's my it's iconography like, just say iconography. as fast as you I possibly can iconography okay okay i got it i got it that's you know, it you got that's it. my texas draw just you know i've got to pronounce every syllable and letter <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah jamil it's it's a fun time me uh pronouncing people's names so it's it's always great i don't if, you know you're not you're, so it's yeah 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 luckily i i realized you know how jamil is actually said and i didn't Oh, that's Dude, a whole other meal or something like that. Yeah, I have many, many odd names I've been called. <laughs> <laughs> Is it mostly that it's an ill or an eel at the end? I mean, uh, or ja or Jamal. Oh, all. Oh, oh yeah. like, Jamal. what are you going to do? <laughs> I, got, I got a letter in the mail addressed to Jarvel Aluban once. <laughs> I kind of use that every now and then when I don't want to be recognized. So. Yeah, there you go. Great, there you yeah, I have an Irish name with a Polish last name, so it's it's fun to, to get that. The last time I, I ordered, you know, we ordered takeout the other day, and my name's Sean. I mean, I get it. It's not the easiest to think over a phone line. I go there. I'm like, hey, I'm going to pick up an order, and the only order ready is for John. I'm like, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's me. It's it's for me. It's not me, but it's for me. Come on. Yeah. Four yeah. letters. How can you mess it up? Yeah. I know what it's like. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a birthday card. I wrote to my mother when I was maybe seven or eight years old, and I signed it Jeff. 
<laughs> I, I guess I was just tired of spelling my name at that point. It's like, nope, not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, let's hear me uh, mispronounce more things. So um, I wanted to ask you about your Luthery. Hey, I got that one right. Mm-hmm. But uh, you also make Uds. Is that correct? Uh, it's, it's actually, it's really hard word to say. So in Arabic, there's a, there's a letter called Ein. And you have to like use the back of your throat. And it's kind of like ein, and the word is oud. But oud. in English, we mostly we just say oud. So okay. it's like the word mood without the M. So it's an oud. Uh, so the oud is a very cool instrument. It's the great grandfather of of the guitar and basically every guitar like instrument that we know, mm. um, other than maybe like the sitar or you know Eastern different eastern instruments so uh the oud is a pear-shaped i was gonna say um, yeah yeah stave construction so you bend thin pieces of wood around a mold kind of like you're building a boat Mm. and then it's uh you you take the shell off and then you put the soundboard on and uh there's five pairs of strings and then one single string that acts kind of like a drone um it's fretless so you can play what we call uh the microtones so in arabic music if you can imagine a keyboard instead of just having a white key and then a black key next to it which would represent a half step we have sometimes two or three notes between a white key and the next black key yeah that's that's wild yeah so if we do like do re mi and and mi would be flat like a like a minor key like C minor, we would have E, E flat, and then we would have E half flat. So it would be (laughs) E and E flat. And then sometimes in different modes, there's also quarter flats on either side of the half flat. How do you tune that? Well, it's not, think of it like a violin. So, well, the violin is fretless. So you really, the intonation is wherever you put your finger. Yeah, true. Slide your finger up and down. You have, you know, everywhere thousands of notes on that on that board that you can play. That's why uh, most of the instruments used in Arabic music are are fretless and don't have that sort of dialed in note that's preloaded for you to play. Hmm. Um, So, the advantage of that is you can play all these cool sounds, which make you know. Eastern music and Arabic music so exotic sounding. You know, if you watch, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood movies that are set in the Middle East, like The Mummy, you know, you'll hear these kind of exotic scales. Um, the ironic part is there's dozens of scales in Arabic music, but when there's a Hollywood mo- movie set in Arabia, they always pick just one scale. It's always the same <laughs> scale. The same one. It's the one that sounds the most, you know, Arabian to us. Yeah. Or like Aladdin Arabian Nights, I'm guessing exactly. that's the scale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's all the same scale. Um, but you'll there's there's other instruments where there are actual frets, but they'll be like these little tiny rows of brass, little flippable brass levers where you have to flip one up and then pluck the note and then flip it back down to get all of these different microtones. So uh, the oud kind of makes it easy because it's just wherever you put your finger you'll get the note you're after. Hmm. Um, so the oud was 
was like the king of the instruments. It was like the piano for Arabic music for, you know, a couple of thousand years or more. And it kind of made its way up through um, northern Africa. And then when the Moors conquered Spain, they took the oud with them into Spain. And I don't remember when this was, whenever the Moors conquered Spain. Um, they took the oud with them. And there was a, there's a word in Arabic called tarab. And the word describes kind of this euphoric ecstasy feeling that you get when you're hearing like a really great song. So the people that would play this music, that would experience tarab, they became known as the troubadours. Oh, interesting. Well, these people would carry, took the oud into Spain, and the Spaniards kind of evolved it. They took it and they put frets on it so they could play more, you know, European music on it. Mm -hmm. And that instrument became known as the lute. Okay, yeah. So you'll see lutes in, like, mm -hmm. Renaissance paintings, you know, mm -hmm. guys with long curly hair playing a lute, and uh, they'll be frets. Some of the lutes have, you know, incredibly long necks, and they've made all there's like a tenor lute a soprano lute the oud always just kind of stayed the same so lute is in arabic you'll have a word and it usually is preceded by al like al oud so the word and just means the like the oud mm. so the word al oud became lute hmm. Hmm. and then the lute became yeah. the guitar yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. I could see early that. guitars evolved from a lute. Well, how did you first get interested in making it? Is it something that's been with your family or something uh, like that? I'm cheap. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> instruments, parents, instruments like that are expensive. I can make my own. Yeah. Well, that's that's the ironic thing. They're not that expensive because most of them are still made in in like Syria or mm. Egypt. Um, there's some there's some Turkish oud makers that get a lot of money for them. I mean, like. Mm you know, dollars kind of money. Um, mm -hmm. But my parents bought me one when I was, I don't know, in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, what'd you pay for this? And I says, oh, $1,000. And I just about fell out of my chair. And I says, <laughs> I can build this. It's all wood. I mean, other than the strings, it's 100% wood. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I built one. And then I built another one. And then I built a few more. I didn't, you know, I sold a few of them, but it, it wasn't, it was just kind of like a side job, kind of a side gig for me, hobby more than anything. Um, well, they're absolutely beautiful. I've seen a bunch of the ones you made, and I, I think you really, I don't know, I guess you use that you. To, to have some uh, expression as far as inlay work and marquetry and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot of them um, have some very, very intricate marquetry and inlay. Uh, and kind of filigree, a scroll work like the rosette that covers the sound hole. It's usually made of ivory or bone. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it usually has like calligraphy on it that like is either the maker's name in the middle or the different scales of music or um, things like that. Um, so it's when I, I was building furniture a lot when I started getting into that. And I will say that build, building those completely changed how I work with wood and how I relate with wood. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if, if you ever have a chance to buy, even, even buy a guitar building kit, like from Luthier's Mercantile um, or Stumac or something, build a guitar, you know, even if some of the stuff is already surfaced or whatever, you will learn so much about 
how wood works when it's incredibly thin and flexible. You'll learn about run out way more than you would if you're building a chair or something. Yeah. You know, we like we like our chair legs to be, you know, split out and riven and grain from one end to the other. But when you're dealing with a with a soundboard that's one or two millimeters thick and it's got over a hundred pounds of string tension on it with a bridge that's just glued on, then you really start to understand what it means uh you know how wood works mm -hmm. no i can imagine like i said uh hats off to you it's just absolutely phenomenal work oh, they're there. beautiful it's really fun i mean i i miss it but in some ways i don't it was it was one of these kind of workmanship of risk things where every subsequent step you were more invested in the piece and mm -hmm. it became more fragile and precious in the shop and uh you'll notice when you see like a guitar maker's shop it doesn't look like a furniture maker shop. Yeah. It's, it's more like an art studio than mm -hmm. a workshop. And that can kind of, uh, that pressure can kind of get to you after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen sometimes, uh, uh, with, uh, folks that are in Luthery making violins and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different level of precision, a whole different level of knowledge of the wood. Yeah, steam bending and all that kind of stuff. They have their yeah. own little way of doing things, and that's what's yeah. worked for centuries and yeah. centuries. Yeah, yep, yep, for sure. But yeah. you know, I encourage anyone to to get into it. Build a ukulele. Just start something simple. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes music. So you know, exactly, exactly. Right. So cool. Yeah, Ben Strano's going on a tear with his ukulele making, and <laughs> oh, uh, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been doing some good stuff, and actually putting out some interesting music too. Nice. Um, well, so, uh, besides that, what are some of your favorite pieces that you've made so far? Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, most of the stuff that I build for myself, it's just what, whatever interests me at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a lot of different styles. It's like mid-century stuff. It's, it's traditional forms, Windsor chairs. Um, it, it's, I'm really into these, uh, kind of stick furniture forms where mm -hmm. we have yeah. uh like this amana church benches that i've been building um those things are fascinating to me even though they're very simple the joinery is very robust um really unique but that that piece of furniture would look you know it would fit in an old colonial house or the most modern house mm -hmm. it, it's just i don't know why it interests me so much but it's I'm kind of branching out and trying some different styles and forms and different pieces kind of based on the joinery and the overall aesthetic of that piece. Um, that's held my interest for a few years now. But uh, one of the favorite things that I built is I built Thomas Jefferson's bookcases mm -hmm. um, oh, from Chris Schwartz actually wrote about those some years. Yeah, ago. right. I remember. Yeah. Um, and I built a set in, in European beach and, a lot of dovetailing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what he says. It's like just dovetails after dovetails after dovetails. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I got in the groove though, and it was it was a really really nice project just to have in the house. It it holds an enormous amount of books. I need to build another one. It's already full, but uh, that it, a relatively simple piece, but just really fun and satisfying. Um, I did a tool chest with Chris too some years ago for popular woodworking and i inlaid the lid oh um, yeah yeah i remember that yeah it was like a handworks yeah right yeah so chris built the 
built the chest, I built the lid, and you know, we married them together and everything happened to fit just miraculously, I guess. Uh and it was that was a that was a really fun project. Um but I I'm not building a lot of complicated stuff right now. I I it's just simpler stuff. I I'm really kind of itching to get back into making chairs. I did a chair with Pete Galbert oh maybe seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Um and I've got a lot of the parts built for another, you know, batch of those. I'd like to get back on that. But chairs are really, really intriguing to me. At the yeah, yeah. I haven't strayed. Once I got into chairs, I haven't strayed too much further away from, you know, just making oh. chairs. But now I make jigs. And I'm, I'm cautiously <laughs> not entering that yeah. menu. Just <laughs> it's in your blood. Just just dip your toes in, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, <laughs> first Danger. Yeah. free. Danger. Yeah. Danger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I do say I'm building the Galbert rocker, which I have been for a couple of years, and I've got everything done. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to do, but I mean, as far as all the parts, I've done all the make pretty as far as I can before assembling and doing all that kind of stuff. So hopefully this weekend, I might actually oh. get an undercarriage wow. put in. So we'll see. Oh. We'll see. Cool. Um, but um, but anyway, what? Uh, so you say you're you're into the more simpler stuff. So a lot of the sick chairs and right now is is what's influencing your work and stuff of that nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think a, a big reason for that is I like the aesthetic, but it's mm -hmm. also for me it's it's pretty quick to build. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have a hard time finding time to build what we want and then have it in our homes and use it. Um, yeah. If it's not for a client, obviously, but. Uh, that appeals to me. I mean, I've done, I, I spent a lot of years making, you know, instruments, carved pieces, things that are very, very elaborate and time consuming. And I hit a point where I was like, I really, I really get a lot of satisfaction out of trying to make a simple design look really nice, which to right. me is, is more difficult than making something fancy look nice. Cause yeah. So that, that intrigues me. Well, cool. Well, now another thing you've been doing is teaching some classes. So tell us a little bit about how that's been going and do you have any coming up? Uh, I don't have any in the works at the moment. Um, I've taught at a couple schools over the years. I taught at Kelly Mailers maybe 10 years ago. We did a workbench class down there, um, which was which was a great experience. Um, then I've taught at, uh, taught in Florida at Kate School at the Florida School of Woodworking. Um, that's a fantastic school to work, uh, to work at. And Kate is a fantastic, uh, person to work with. Uh, she'll, she'll be at handworks with, you know, yeah. presenting the school. So, um, yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Cause I've, we've, we've had Kate on the podcast, but I've never met her in person and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I do definitely, it's on my bucket list to go to her place to take a class. Cause it looks like a fantastic thing here. She brings out the tea and crumpets and all that good stuff. So <laughs> yes, that's, yes, that's very <laughs> part of it. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't teach a lot. Um, I really enjoy teaching like maybe one or two people in my mm -hmm. shop. I think that's, um, that's a lot of fun to me. I, I, I really like to engage with a, a small group of people over a long period like that and really kind of get into the nitty gritty of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, um, but a lot of the, I don't really call it teaching, but we've also done the uh, French Oak Rubeau project mm -hmm. down in, down in Georgia. And 
Um, that's more of a kind of a woodworking fantasy camp than, <laughs> than a class, but it ends up being a class, which is cool too, because you end up helping people and mounts and ideas off of each other. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, you got a bunch of people getting, getting sweaty and their, their hands are black at the end of the week from all the tannins and the white Oak and <laughs> holding, you know, high carbon steel blades. And yeah. Walnuts yeah. are worse for me with the, the tannins, the walnut seems oh, to really? react with me more than any of the Oaks do, but yeah. 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 So uh, hopefully we'll do some small classes at, at Benchcrafted here in Cedar Rapids um, in the coming years. So um, we have a, we moved into a new facility and, October of 2019 with the hopes of offering classes and you know things like that but three months later that was everything was locked down so nothing yeah. has happened since <laughs> well that's good well we can't let you go without talking about your real passion in life and that's for <laughs> air-cooled Porsches food eating barbecue <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh you want to talk about that okay I get it yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed your Instagram feed today, and it was all about you know uh, new old stock uh, car parts is like that. Yeah, that's a cool little garage on the old Lincoln Highway here. Yeah, through Iowa, that was a very cool spot. Yeah, um, yeah. but but the Porsches. That's uh, um, well, Mark, Mark, feel free to to chime in here. You drove mine just a few weeks ago, so it was amazing. Uh, <laughs> It, it didn't it was, break. Uh, so <laughs> no, it was. Uh, it's, well, we 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 were reminiscing. I I had a '69 Volkswagen Beetle uh, growing up, and um and they actually have one still. Uh, they they bought a. You and your brother own it together, yep. is that right? Yep, yep, that's right. And uh, you were kind enough to offer to let me take a ride in the in the Porsche, and it was we. I think we talked about the last time I was on the show is. Uh, you know, the door latch has the same sound and the coconut fiber seats smell the same. And it was, it was like, a, it was like riding in my car with a lot more horsepower and, uh, and a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. They're, um, they're, they're like time machines. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's there. It's uh, you're, you're, you and your brother both brought your cars to lunch. Um, so I got to see both of them and, and yeah, they're just beautiful old cars. Like I, I, I'm a little envious uh well, they're, they're they're expensive hobbies first yeah and then they're they're fun if you're lucky <laughs> well, what um uh what what your porsches do y'all have uh i have a 1983 911 uh sc okay and father john has basically the same car it's a 79 but it's pretty much the same car yeah um so just a little history on why we have those cars uh uh dad bought a 911 in 1970 um brand new and back then they weren't you know they were definitely more expensive than mm -hmm. you know your average car but they they're nothing they're nothing like they are today i mean if you yeah. translate you know the price of a 911 in 1970 to today's dollars it's like the price of a honda accord yeah <laughs> um so not not crazy expensive and i kind of he talked about that car growing up my whole life. He just loved it. He, mm. he missed it. Um, he said it was nothing like any other car he'd driven. And he actually he actually sold his 68 uh, Charger RT with a 440 in it to buy the 911. So he went from, you know, 
390 horsepower down to 120 horsepower, yep. but a car that you could actually turn in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. It was more than going a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. But he always talked about the Porsche. And mm -hmm. some years ago, I thought, gee, I wonder if it, that car is still in the neighborhood or here in town. And I kind of did some digging. His, it turns out the mechanic that worked on it is still alive. He's, wow. he's in his, he's almost 90 years old now. Um, the guy that sold it to him is still alive. Um, he's about my dad's age, mm -hmm. you know, late seventies, mid seventies. And I started going down these little rabbit holes, trying to find out where the car is. I didn't have a VIN number. I didn't have any, any insurance records. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. I just had some pictures and a, you know, a color basically. And I never found it, but I met so many great people along the way trying to look for it. And yeah. a couple of these guys have become like some of my best friends. Um, and it's, I don't, at this point, if I find the card be fun, but the connections I made looking for it are, are way more meaningful to me at this point than, than a car. I, yeah. Um, but I, I realized I'd never found it. So I thought I'll try to buy one. Mm -hmm. And I found, I found this little, you know, window of, of model years that, that I could still afford to buy. Yeah. And that and window's closed. That window is, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of that window now. Yeah. I was about to say, I if you find that 1970 up. Porsche, um, it's going to be a pretty penny to buy back at this point. If it's still it, out it there. Is, it is. Yeah. And especially the early, earlier ones are just like out of reach. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I got in when I did, but yeah. it's been, it's been interesting. I tried to find a car that I would like, Oh, I'll buy the best one I can find. I won't have, you can just drive and enjoy it. Well, there it's a 40 year old car this year. So yeah. mm -hmm. it's, there's always something that's breaking. I mean, yeah. I just rebuilt the end of the transmission and did like a partial rebuild on, on father John's car. And just yesterday we discovered that the throwout fork for the clutch is cracked. So he can't get it into gear. So I got to drop the engine now again. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, engine out. Oh, man. Yeah. It's it's not too terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Know? They're not, the Porsches aren't like Ferraris or something like that. They're a little it's bit falls right out the yeah. bottom. It yeah. does. It's yeah. It drops out the bottom. The, like the a Brooklyn. Brooklyn. are based on 356s, which are, you know, 80% yeah. VW Beetles. Right. Right. I was oh. going to say, like, my, my brother had a 74 Beetle. And so, like, I learned how to drive a stick on that. Yeah. And yeah. then I had an I had an eighty one rabbit, which is not an air cooled, but right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're they're fun. They're easy to work on. There's no they computers are. or you know digital stuff or any of that. Yeah, yeah. I remember having to redo the whole linkage to the shift the shift whole system. You know, and there was one shop in town that knew what the hell I was talking about. You know, <laughs> and it's like right. yeah. great. You got all the bushings and all the little things. Like super. You know, yeah. it was yeah. Yeah, the good thing about 911s is from 1965 to 1989, they hardly changed at all. Really? So, yeah, they're yeah. they're almost you could take the fender off an 89 and put it on a 65, and it would fit. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't so, broke it. Of resources, it ain't broke. Yeah, yeah. Today's 911s are probably twice the size of those ones oh, built back sure. then. Yeah, yeah. And they weigh, you know, probably 800 pounds more. Mm -hmm. my car's I, not fast i mean yeah my dad's v6 accord will smoke it any day of the week 
Yeah. No, but that, that was the fun. Like my my eighty one rabbit, it, it wasn't powerful. I forget what the engine was on it, but it would get up and go because it weighed nothing. You yes, know, yeah, like exactly. and that it, makes it, it a lot of fun to drive too. It's a it's a <laughs> thin metal box with like a mm -hmm. maybe hundred twenty horsepower motor and it yeah. and just just go. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been fun, but it's a labor of love. It's it's oh, definitely sure. yeah, it's a hobby. Like yeah. you said, it's yeah. an expensive hobby. Well, <laughs> well, it's it's less expensive if you can fix it yourself, basically. So that's I couldn't own this car if I yeah. had to have someone fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, see, that's it. That's it. But yeah. like the the tools that you build when you have a project like that, that's what kind of stuff I love. Is like you know, it's the it's the old thing. Like as a homeowner, like every project, you pretty much budget in a new tool to produce to produce mm -hmm. that. When you've got a project car or a historic vehicle like that, like there's stuff that you've got that you know it never planned on getting, but now you have it. Yeah. And so exactly. now it's just like, oh, and, and now you're familiar with it. I'm like, oh, like, oh, I got to drop the engine again. Big deal. I can do that. I got all those tools. I know that I know oh. what to undo all that stuff. Yeah. I didn't. When, when we bought the Volkswagen and this was in 2015, I had never changed the oil on a vehicle in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it did lawnmowers and stuff, but yeah, but, that's, but now I've I've rebuilt a VW engine. I've rebuilt a 911 engine. If you build a couple transmissions, uh, it's a, it's a long learning curve. But having mm -hmm. good friends that are you know pros that can that'll answer the phone when I when I call is a, it's huge. <laughs> and it's cool. Like you 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 add a little bit of skill every time you go through mm -hmm. something like that. That's a that's yeah. a good yeah. a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I appreciate that. I listen to a number of car related podcasts, so uh, it's it's kind of interesting. And uh, you know, oh, cool. A lot of them always come back to, hey, if you if you want a sports car that works, just buy you know. yeah, They're pretty durable. They really yeah. are. They and really, I yeah. and I can say my my gripe of the time right now, I have a lease on a 2021 Chevy that has yeah. a high powered, a high pressured fuel pump lease. Mm -hmm. So my 2021, my less than two and a half year oh, yeah. old vehicle, smells like leaking gas right now. Oh my gosh! So consider that. Yeah, like, you have a forty-year-old vehicle that yeah, you need to tinker every once in a while, and you're good. I have to fight with a dealership to make my car not smell. Yeah, <laughs> wow, sounds like an old Volkswagen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, if the vehicle was forty years old, it's two years old. <laughs> like it's a totally different, totally different system. Yeah. Well, uh, with that said, and uh, I'll have to correct myself. I said Porsche, and I should have said Porsche. Oh. So. It yeah, I, I, yeah. Is that allowed? Is that? Oh, like, it depends on the crowd. Whatever you want to say, man. Yeah, whatever you want to <laughs> say. It's not depends a on the crowd. It can it be a Porsche or a Porsche, Porsche but not yeah. a Porsche. I, exactly. Sometimes I call it other names entirely. That yeah. Probably not allowed on this. <laughs> Redheaded stepchild. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, um, well, with that, let's move on to our for fortnightly beer choices. So I'll start us off. Um, and I want to recommend, I'm actually not drinking that tonight because uh, Brian sent me a few uh, IPAs from his area and some other things. And that's what I'm going to recommend is the other things. You know, it's been hot around here, so those beers are gone, but I will recommend <laughs> them. Uh, and the first one is Twice the Daily Serving. It's from uh, Trillium Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. Hey, I got one right tonight. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, uh, it, it was, it's a 
fabulous um, sour, basically. It's blueberry and all of that. And usually I don't like sours or anything like that. And I opened that up and I was like, it was very refreshing. It was very, very mildly sour. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, I think my wife drank about half of it because she really <laughs> digged it. And I'm like, okay, I got to see if I can uh, find some of that around here because she really, she really liked it. So thanks for that, Brian. Yeah, my wife likes that as well. So she that's that's like her uh, poolside beer. Oh, hey, she's gonna make one. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Summer sour. Yeah. I, yep. I um I, I'm not on the mailing list, Brian. What the hell? <laughs> well, he was sending me uh, some other stuff, so he just yeah. happened to send some beer. Right. He was sending me mics for the uh, for the festival coming. All up, right. So anyway. well, we may have to set up a trade of some sort. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, uh, Mark, where are you drinking? I have a Boulevard wheat. Mm simple light i can take mm -hmm. it with me to the storm shelter when the tornado hits yep we got good preparation <laughs> if i spill it if i spill it a little bit it's not too big a deal i'm not gonna get upset <laughs> right how about you brian so kind of like this wasn't planned this was actually coincidental um mm -hmm. i'm drinking daily serving not twice the daily serving but daily serving also from trillion brewing company um it's uh kind of like a a, a weiss weiss beer berliner weiss uh so it's it's not sour it's not an IPA, it's kind of in between. Um, I really like it. It's good. It packs a little bit of a punch alcohol-wise. Um, again, this is another beer that could drink out in the sun. Wouldn't bother you at all. Good temp good summertime beer. Uh, well, I definitely have to get more of this next time I go up north. But Sean, how about you? Uh, so, I, I not to get on uh, pronunciations, but I think that's like Weiss. Like Edelweiss. Oh, okay. Berliner Weiss. Yeah. Anyway. The German um, in me is probably... Dying, uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and and the Polish in me doesn't know anything about German, but I believe that's vice. But anyway, um, so I I have dogfish heads, which I get a lot around here. I I'm thankful for that because we get a couple of varieties of their breweries. I'm not in in where they're from, but uh, Northwest Ohio gets a few of them. So their uh, Mandarin and Mango Crush is is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's Mandarin and Mango Ale. You know, it's another another like nice summer refreshing. It's not sour, but it's it's got that kind of um, citrus fruit taste tart. to it. Yeah, a little tart. tart, little tart, but not sour. Yeah, it's and it's it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. So Jamil, what are you sipping on this evening? What am I drinking? I was drinking a uh, uh, Aventinas from Schneiderweiss Brewery in Munich, I think. Oh my gosh! Nice. Anybody okay. familiar with that one? Nope. It's a German uh, Doppelbach, so sort of a Ooh, very double. dark. Yeah, yeah it looks dark when you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Higher alcohol, kind of syrupy almost. Um, mm -hmm. Very reminiscent of like a Belgian ale, like a, okay. like a Chimay or Golden Drag or, um, you know, Trappist-style beer. Oh, so, oh, oh I do like Trappist. You know what? Yeah. Can't, yeah. Can't, wait, can't wait to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's... There's a brewery in Amana just Is down there? the street from, from the Fest Hall bar. Okay. Well, it's down, like you. It's down the walk, street from everything. Walking <laughs> yeah, yeah. there, or you got to take a car a little bit. No, you can walk to it for sure. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. All it's right. walkable in Amana. It's like, you know, the whole village is like four blocks long. So nice. Yeah, it's, um, I smell Friday there's a, dinner. There's a, yep. a tasting room right across the street from that woolen mill that was turned into a hotel. And then. Yep. Three doors down, there's the the restaurant, the German restaurant that has a brewery in it. Or are oh, they not? Okay. Are they not brewing their own beer now? I don't remember. It's it's 
the the beer is from the Millstream Brewery. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they're selling the same beers. Yep. And uh, but they had oh, fifteen taps, sixteen taps, a ton of taps. Yeah. So. And, oh, uh, and I just found out the Sunday after Handworks, the brewery is having like a a brewers festival in a man. So I don't know how many breweries are coming, but maybe fifteen or twenty breweries. So awesome. Yeah. If anybody's sticking around on Sunday, there's something to do. Any breakfast beer before I head home? I was gonna say who's flying hours and when beer, maybe Vice Coast. Half of Weizen. Yeah. <laughs> no well, for you. Yes. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, so uh Jamil, where can uh, folks find you on the interwebs? Uh in what in which capacity uh all of them yeah all uh, of them. any capacity so, you like uh handworks is handworks all one word dot co dot co not dot com yeah um, so handworks.co that's for handworks benchcrafted is benchcrafted.com um and my just my personal instagram is jameel abraham that's it and there's yeah. just kind of boring things on that so Ah, there's some exciting stuff. Yeah, boring, boring things. Uh-huh. Boring things. There's some, you know, there's some some Porsche stuff. There's all kinds of woodworking stuff. It's fantastic. It's a good yeah. follow. And then, of course, you got Benchcrafted too. Yes, Instagram. and Benchcrafted has Instagram as well. So, yep, fantastic. So, Mark, uh, where can folks find you? Well, uh, you can find uh, you can find me at plate11.com uh, at Mark Builds It on Instagram. Or you can go over to jointeffort.net and subscribe to my weekly newsletter and get a link to a new video, mostly about uh, post and rung chair making right now. But uh, this week's actually mentions Handworks. So if you're already subscribed, you're going to get the link to handworks.co in your email on Friday when it comes out. Wow. Wow. Brian? Convenient. Yeah. Yeah, Very cool. Very nice. Uh, I uh, gave up on Twitter. I might do threads. Who knows? But Instagram is the place you can find me uh, at Opst Woodworks. And Opst is O-B-S-T. Kyle, how about you? Uh, you can always find me on Instagram at Barton.Kyle or BB Custom Tools, bbcustomtools.com, or on YouTube under BB Custom Tools or Kyle Barton. Sean, what about yourself? Well, you can find me at SeanW78, including on threads, on most of the social medias. Well, so do we have any reviews? We do. We've got uh, a few reviews here uh, from Kim McIntyre's episode. Uh, Robert Tolnai says, outstanding guests. Looking forward to, to this. Sorry. Looking forward to listening to this podcast. Uh, our friend Diami from Penultimate Workshop said, or Woodshop says, McIntyre Furniture is phenomenal. And Jeremy Specci, is that the right? That sounds like the right Italian Specci. Sounds it. Tell it, let us know, Jeremy. I've actually never I heard of this. I could do pod- a Texan no, version of that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy says, I've never, I've actually never heard of this podcast before. So thank you, McIntyre Furniture, for sharing that you were on. I'm also excited to hear the episode with Robert Spies. And I'm sure there are lots more once I start digging back a bit. He gives oh. So, um, <laughs> I can't believe you haven't heard of this podcast before. <laughs> so, you you people out there are not sharing enough. You need to share this podcast with your woodworking friends, internet or right. real. So uh, we we like to hear from you. I like reading these reviews and making snide comments. Uh, so you know, <laughs> if you enjoy that, uh, you should go to our Instagram account. Um, what is it, Kyle? 
It's uh, at MWA underscore podcast. And speaking of that, we're going to actually have Robert uh, Tolney on in a uh, few in a future episode. Actually, look forward to yes. that. Yes. You can rib him about his comment, Mark. <laughs> he said it was outstanding. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's Jeremy. It's Jeremy. That's oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I really, it's, you know, this is bad form. I, I'm giving a new person a hard time. They're never going to come back. Like what? I'm sorry, Jeremy. Jeremy, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the club. It's the welcome. other people. The other people, welcome. unlike Kim, who haven't been sharing. Those people, you need to get yeah. to work. So that's right. We'll see you next. Let's see you next time. And that just about wraps it up for this show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.